You don't even like sports. Welcome to You Don't Even Like Sports, a podcast about sports for people who don't like sports. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May. Hey, hey, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I have a thing to tell you, which is that you don't even like you sports. You don't even like sports? Is that, I knew it. I, I got knew it out you first. Don't even like sports. You, you don't, you even, don't even like sports. Like you, Adam sports. Todd Brown, don't like sports. Jeff May does not like sports. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to, what is this, season three? It's season three-ish. We've had some very special episodes, some holiday specials and things to show up in between the seasons. And then there's also Jose Say cast, yeah, which is... So, you know, this is kind of a season, season three of you don't even like sports, but see season like nine of us doing the show. We have a doozy of a season coming up. I was initially kind of bummed that I picked this because I picked this topic in the heat of the moment after this guy died. And I was like, hey, he's popular. We should we should talk about Diego Maradona. And almost immediately was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to research a bunch of soccer. This is going to fucking suck. And yeah, nope, because. We all agree, though, that uh, even if one does like sports, which you don't, you don't, um, right? That soccer is the one where you're just like, oh man, I'm not like from Europe. I don't care about this. It's not my favorite sport by any stretch of the imagination, and and I coached it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's right. You were a soccer coach. (laughs) I coached it for like seven years. What a dork you are! I'm still just like, man, watching this game sucks. I'm glad I'm invested in it, but. Once I started looking into this guy, oh man, this is going to be a fascinating season. This is genuinely one of the most fascinating people I've ever looked into. This guy's life is crazy. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it has a very, you know, one of the comparisons that we, uh, I'm not seeing in what we've talked about though, is he has kind of like a, like a Michael Jackson vibe of being like having such a such an important level of of performance thrust at him at such a young age and just like how that can fuck you up long term. He's a really extreme example of that. The age that this guy starts getting discovered for his talent is absurd. We'll get to it in more detail, but I think he's actually the most extreme version of that thing where parents are like, oh, you're good at a sport. Let's uh, make sure you do that full time so we can get rich off of it. Did you ever see that documentary about like becoming the greatest? I think I, I suggested it a while ago and it was like Wayne Gretzky on it. And he's just like, you know, I didn't like specialize in hockey. I did everything. And this is the thing I liked the most. So I just did it the most. And they were talking about how the specialization is actually hindering kids at becoming great. That makes a lot of sense. You hear the the same thing about LeBron James, where people were like, LeBron James could have just played football. He could have played wide receiver. And would have made the NFL. Well, Brady was too, right? Brady, I don't know. But there's another prominent quarterback. I'm John well, uh, Elway. John Elway uh, was drafted by the Yankees. and that, that, Yeah, there was like a documentary about that one too. And um, I, I, I remember there was a, a conversation about, it was like uh, Allen Iverson and Michael Vick went to the same high school. And Allen Iverson was considered the better quarterback. Yeah, I could see that. The thing with Maradona though what choice did he have? Yeah, it's not like they were like, oh, well, he also does a steeplechase. <laughs> yeah. Would yeah, you like to play option. some water polo in the shanty town you grew up in? Yeah, the specialization is really just an options thing. There's not a lot of options when you are in a goddamn favela trying to just have a ball. Despite coming from that situation, though, this guy's considered one of the best soccer players, if not the best soccer player of all time. He is the co-winner of the FIFA Player of the 20th Century Award, along with Pele, who for the longest time was literally the only soccer player I could name. He was the American sensation. Right. He was, he was the one that huge was brought was to America to, to like save soccer in America. Didn't work. No, of course not. Then they tried it with David Beckham. Also didn't work. I mean, David Beckham, you know, they brought Pele when he was like good. David Beckham's like, oh, I'm done being competitive now. So Pele in that vote, overwhelming winner among sports writers. But Maradona was the overwhelming winner among fans. It's tempting to take the easy road and call Diego Maradona the Michael Jordan of soccer. But he's he's not that. I think Pele was maybe the, the Michael Jordan. I don't know who the LeBron would be. Lionel Messi, fucking Christian Ronaldo. I don't know. I don't watch enough soccer to know. 
But I know what Maradona is. Maradona is the Babe Ruth of soccer because because he was played by John Goodman in a film. The thing about being a really high caliber athlete is there's usually a component of keeping yourself in really great shape that goes along with it. Tom Brady, yep. we just did an episode of Unpops about the crazy shit he gets up to. LeBron James, if LeBron James takes his shirt off around any woman you know, she's leaving with LeBron James. He looks like he was sculpted by professional artists. Yeah, and his hairline was. His hairline, on the other hand... Was absolutely sculpted by professional artists. <laughs> it seems like it's still in the process of being sculpted. But Diego Maradona, much like Babe Ruth, has none of that. I always think about Babe Ruth like if he was in the league now, like where would he be? You know, like uh, what talent level would Babe Ruth be if he was competing at this level now? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if he'd make a team. I'm going to say David Ortiz. I think David Ortiz would be the best parallel yeah, because but David, David Ortiz, Ortiz was in surprising shape. But the thing about Babe Ruth, he was in terrible shape, but he was very athletic. He was very fast mm. for being as huge as he was. Like yeah. he wasn't a total scrub. He, he was like if David Wells could swing the bat. Yeah, kind of. He just he had a gut. He had a big ass beer gut because he liked the party. And it is funny. It is interesting to think like because he was hitting he, he was hitting like 83 mile an hour fastball. Right. And you think about that now because, you know, like the science and tech of, uh, you know, it's there's the I forget what it's like the Red Queen principle or whatever it is that just things get exponentially more impressive as time goes on. And he's hitting 83 mile an hour fastballs against pitchers who would. If you were pitching that day, you were just pitching. Like if the game went 14 <laughs> innings, you're fucking pitching 14 innings, pal. Yeah. Guess Enjoy I'm throwing it. a 68 mile an hour meatball three hours into the game. You ever pitched? Giant. Have you ever pitched a baseball game? No, I did in little league. Won a championship, thank you very much. And it wrecks your arm for like three days after. Your arm just throbs because it's a completely unnatural motion for your arm. The way women do fast pitch softball is actually the way your arm wants to move. Yes. Well, there's like a whole thing about how like um the, it. it there was like, I forget who it was, but there was like some famous pitching coach that was like, if you are in any sport with somebody who's under 17 and a coach or trainer is trying to teach a curveball, ditch that trainer. Because like apparently like the arm isn't developed right. to use the curveball and basically you will blow your fucking arm out immediately. Had I kept playing baseball, I would have blown my arm out because I was throwing a mean fucking slider by the time I was 13. It was torture on my wrists like i I would have tommy john surgery by the time i was in yeah, first year that. in college yeah i don't want that so yeah babe ruth diego maradona they're two examples of athletes who didn't take the best care of themselves but were also just at the top of their game hmm. with maradona he lived the kind of life that would have made for a great behind the music episode but he's not a musician so we're talking about him on a podcast about how jeff doesn't even like sports that's not what this is about it's about how it's called. It's you, don't even like you don't even like the, sports. I came up with that Jeff, name about you specifically with Jeff being the titular you. That's not what happened, but that's OK in that title. So you can be wrong. It's not until later in his career that the drugs and partying really start to become a thing. But that's fine. And boy, do they. Boy, do they. Uh, drugs, partying, mafia connections we're going to get into at one point, which I suppose is natural if you play your best years of sport in Italy. Some Ray Lewis shit coming up. But his story is fascinating right from the beginning, quite literally. Diego Maradona was born October 30th, 1960 in Buenos Aires. That's in Argentina, dummies. Right after my dad. Oh, wow. I'm like two months after my dad was born. We got Maradona. According to the book Hand of God, The Life of Diego Maradona by Jimmy Burns, which is one of the books we read for this podcast i think it might be the best book about maradona anytime an author goes by jimmy you know something good's gonna happen it's a good book i think it's the best account of his early years and his barcelona years from there on diego maradona is such a huge figure in sports that there are individual books and documentaries about just small parts of his life which you don't even see with michael jordan I mean, Michael Jordan has that one huge documentary about him, but there's not like, yeah, a, that's like a there's not like a specific flu game documentary with Maradona. There are documentaries and books about single 
matches. Yeah, you get like uh, the Jordan rides the bus 30 for 30. And that's like they're just like in this. Here's how he doesn't play basketball. Yeah. Yeah. With with Maradona, there's so much information about him out there. And it's like legendary information, too, which makes it tough. You yeah, know, like, when you've developed that level of a cult of personality, it's hard to disseminate fact from fiction sometimes. And one of the things we'll find about Maradona and that we'll talk about a lot is he is notoriously private. He has a very small circle of friends and family that he answers to or answered to. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Big Dog. And beyond that, he doesn't let a lot out. So a lot of these stories, like even one of the first stories in this book is about his birth, which even that there's a few different versions of it. One of them being that when he he came out of his his mom's shoot, she shouted, go. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that didn't happen. Yeah, I don't believe that happened either that sounds that, like some myth making right that, there. yeah that's like and then he carved the he wrote a tornado and carved out the rio grande like he's not pecos bill and that's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes people just do that for kicks like kurt cobain would do that to interviewers all the time he'd be like yeah man i, I lived under a bridge for a while and years later people looked into it and they were like he didn't live under a fucking bridge He lived near a bridge on someone's couch for a while, but he certainly did not live. No one could live under that bridge, but he was just doing it for funds. And that seems like kind of what Maradona, at least in this story, has to be doing. Yeah, it depends on who's giving that information out. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. But it's also it makes sense when you were like, yeah, he's notoriously private. And it's like, yeah, but that's you're getting into like kidnapping family members for ransom country. So, like, I get the need for privacy in South America. Not not to not not to like say that all of South America is like that, but I don't know if you've heard of any major league baseball stories of family members, but those motherfuckers get kidnapped all the time. David Ortiz got shot in the Dominican Republic and sometimes survived. major league baseball players try to kill their own employees. I'm looking at you, Ogie Urbina. <laughs> or sometimes they try to kill Frank Thomas in a Ferrari on the freeway. Jose Canseco. There's also in the same version of the story, the doctor holds up Diego and says, congratulations, you have a healthy son and he is pure ass. And apparently that was a compliment, man. Soccer countries are fucking different. I don't know, man. If you, if you had a baby come out and it had a big, thick ass, you'd be like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> that's a baby. Get that baby twerking on the that's, internet. You got a thick baby. Baby's thick. You got a thick baby. Speaking of legend, there's also Uncle Cirillo, who is an important figure in young Diego's life. Uncle Cirillo gifted Diego a soccer ball when he was three. And this is such a legendary moment in his life that there still to this day on YouTube are videos of this soccer ball and a very young Diego Maradona playing with a soccer ball, which what kind of shantytown was equipped with video cameras? I was going to say, who's got a camcorder in a in, in in like a goddamn tin roof fucking... It's weird, man. That had to be like the, the Nino Brown of the neighborhood, like the local drug dealer or something. Yeah. Because he li- it, it's a high crime area he lived it, in. It's also... It, it's interesting to say like... <laughs> and, as much as I'm sure there are fans of the sport here that I'm just like, ama- imagine how uninteresting soccer is that they're just like, here's a video of the ball. <laughs> it is crazy. It's crazy how much, how early people start documenting this guy and the way he plays soccer. One of the first and most interesting things I realized, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but this really is one of the most extreme versions of parents being like, oh shit. Our kid is really good at sports. We need to exploit this for our own financial gain. I mean, a meal ticket's a meal ticket, bro. The thing that makes Diego Maradona different from, say, Tiger Woods or the Williams sisters, who I think are another pretty great example of that, he's playing for money by the time he's eight. There's also something to be said about where they are born. And and you you can't stress enough that just like when you look at, you know, the Woods family, the Williams sisters, they've struggled, but they weren't coming up in poverty, like abject poverty, not the way Maradona was. Tiger Woods, definitely not. Yeah. The Williams sisters. Yeah, they grew up in Compton and I'm assuming they weren't loaded. 
But also, even as as crazy as Compton was at the time, it's not Via Florito, which it's, is where it's, it's Diego not Maradona yeah. grew up. It's an actual shanty town, like the kind of shit Bob Marley sang about. Lots of crime, lots of violence, people living in actual shacks. Diego lived in a shack with his grandmother, Salvadora, his mother, Tota, and his father, Chitoro. And to his credit, he was he was proud of this. He, he didn't shy away from it. And he actually made a decent argument, which was that living in that area gave him more room to run around than city kids who were in the heart of Buenos Aires had. And that just made him a better soccer player. There's something to be said about that. Yeah. You know? And the Jimmy Burns book brings up something really important about where Maradona grew up, which is that the people there very much value loyalty to a close-knit circle of relatives and friends and a disdain for outside institutions. That's a quote from the book. That becomes super-duper important as this story progresses. And again, definitely a geographic benefit to have a distrust for outsiders when you are growing up in these conditions and when, as we are going to visit later on in the episode, sometimes the military overthrows the government. Sometimes they do it repeatedly. What you going to do? There are three big stories from Maradona's early years that come up in every resource you read about him. And understand, when I say his early years, I mean like the age of three to seven. He's already becoming a legend at that age not for necessarily great stuff. One of these stories, the soccer ball is one of those stories. We've already talked about that. The second one, I think, really perfectly demonstrates the conditions he grew up in. It also involves Uncle Cirillo. The shack that Diego Maradona grew up in, you're not going to believe this. No electricity, no running water. Get out of here. Yeah, crazy. Get Adam. Get what? the fuck out of here. Oh, Jeff, I can't. We have to finish this podcast. God damn it. So... No electricity, no running water. One night he gets up and is going to use the bathroom and stumbles around in the dark. And Jeff, he falls into a cesspit, which Adam, is who among us, who among us hasn't been there. Yeah. Who, who hasn't uh, fallen into a pit of human waste, a pit of shit as depicted in the hit film Slumdog Millionaire. Exact same thing here, but it really happened to Diego Maradona. And once again, Uncle Cirillo came through in the clutch, heard Diego struggling and, and just tossed him a leather soccer ball, <laughs> shouted, keep your head above the shit and reached in and pulled him out. Can you imagine drowning in shit? Yes. Often. Oh, that would be the worst. I think about it consistently. I don't want that. I don't want it to happen to me. That's all I dream about. It's fucking weird, man. I mean, we can make it happen. Can we? Yeah. There's porta potties out there. Yeah. <laughs> Get some sort of respiratory I disease. I want to die in shit. The the third story from Maradona's youth that always comes up is Jose the truck driver. Weird last name. Yeah, that is a crazy last name. I, I think that's an Argentinian thing. It's a very self-fulfilling prophecy situation. Exactly, because he was also a truck driver. This that's is a little the gift of the Magi situation right there. This is the story that shows how insanely great he was at soccer. At an early age, at one point in history, a truck driver named Jose Trotta is driving a client home. And that client happens to be a neighbor of Maradona's whose son plays on the same team as Diego. And this guy tells Jose Trotta all about Diego. And as luck would have it, Trotta was friends with a guy named Francisco Cornejo, who was the trainer of Cebolitas, the youth team of the first division club, Argentinos Juniors. Or something like that. Argentinos Juniors. And the Junior Argentinians, Adam. That speaks Spanish. That that was you yeah. I know, I looked it up and you're right. That is that's the that's the that's the translation. You're welcome. Thank you. You didn't have to look it up. I'm here. I'm your resource, man. So Trotta meets with Diego's parents and they agree to let him drive their child to meet Francisco Cornejo. Diego Maradona was eight years old at the time. Hey, can I take your kid? You sure can. I've watched a couple videos of him playing soccer as a kid, and I get it, but I guess I just don't know enough about soccer to get it the way all of these people who saw him play at like the age of six and seven were like, that guy is going to be a star. I mean, at least they weren't like, that guy is going to be hot. <laughs> that's a way worse situation to be in. That's the thing. He definitely wasn't. 
One thank thing, God. Thank God for ugly, talented kids, man. Right? Oof. Sometimes sometimes the ugly kids strike it rich. It's an unmolestable meal ticket. You got to love it. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was molested at some point. Oh, that's fair. Everyone agreed he had a weird body. He's very short. If you look at him at any point throughout his career, he's much shorter than anyone else playing. And he has a gigantic head. He looks like a kidney bean. <laughs> like, if you look at him, you're like, that's a kidney bean, right? And you're like, no, that's a soccer player. This is the greatest soccer player alive. And you're like, mm, I don't know. He looks way too top heavy to be the greatest soccer like, player like alive. A, like a soccer mascot. He looks like a mascot. <laughs> that would be like if that Phoenix Suns gorilla came out and started just tomahawk jamming on LeBron. <laughs> You'd be like, the fuck? But even despite that weird body, everyone who watches him play, including Francisco Cornejo, is crazy impressed. And that is how, at the age of eight, Diego Maradona joined his first football team. Good for him, man. I guess, but woof, there goes your childhood. I mean, oh, what? okay, can I ask you a question, Adam? I what already know what you're going to say, and you're right. What childhood did he have <laughs> <Yeah>. in the <laughs> fucking, in the shantytown favela that he has already <laughs> fallen into a shit pit? I feel like we can call an audible and say, let's give him a different childhood. You're taking all those unpaid years of soccer away from him, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and all the and all the eventual factory work that he was going to end up having to do. Yeah. By the age of eight, he's being paid to play soccer. This team he joined is a paid thing there. Which that's fucking bananas, by the way, that that uh, that alone shouldn't. Eight year olds are getting paid to play. soccer. who's paying tickets to see them? That's you ever the, watch eight-year-olds play soccer? That's what's different about soccer is there's all these youth teams and people fuck with that just as hard as the adult teams. Like, you're not going to get me going to check out the Little League World Series. Fuck those kids. Dude, fucking. Put me on the mound and let me throw those crisp sliders I'm, at them. I'm telling you the best eight-year-old soccer player I could fuck up so bad. I don't get it. I don't get wanting to watch kids play sports, but soccer fans love it like almost every team has a junior team and what's really confusing about this team is their senior team is called argentinos juniors what are you gonna stop. do stop what are you stop gonna do it oh so once he joins sebalitas francisco cornejo effectively becomes diego maradona's guardian like not really his parents are still in charge but they turn a lot of stuff over to this guy and one of the first things he does in that role is connect Diego with a very shady doctor named Cacho Paladino, which even the name like that's not a doctor name. It's funny, too, because I understand. And, and, and I think now is the time that we should mention that we are talking about geographical spots and that things can obviously come out very interestingly. Um, but this is like in high poverty areas where shit gets weird and there are not a lot of options. Things are going to get really fucking dicey, you know, like and and I, I do want to sort of backtrack and be like, I'm not saying all of South America is fucked up and dicey, but like you have the news. I think that's even how Britney Spears ended up in that conservatorship. Her family, if you if you watch any of the documentaries about that. The woman who ends up kind of forcing that on Britney Spears and influencing her dad to do it is this woman named Lou Taylor. She enters Britney Spears' life as a stalker who is sending her letters telling her she's possessed by the devil and that this woman can help her get the devil out of her. And when Britney Spears is like, will you go away? Who are you? The woman's like, all right, I'm just going to ask your dad. And Britney Spears' family grew up in the Deep South. They grew up in the New fucking Orleans, in like Louisiana, right? Of yeah. Louisiana. So I think this Christian fucking cult leader showed up at Britney Spears' dad's doorstep and was like, "Your daughter's possessed by a demon." And he was like, "That makes so much sense. Thank you so much." Another one. Fuck. Yeah. And now she's fucked because yeah, you're right. Once, once you get religion and extreme poverty into the mix, problems, big problems. Oh yeah. And it ends up being a big problem for Diego Maradona because it's a thing he carries with him throughout the rest of his career where he looks at actual doctors kind of suspiciously. But when a wacky medicine man like Cacho Paladino shows up, he's like, yeah, you I trust. You like, I trust. Like Instagram moms. Pretty much. Yeah. They're like, oh, everybody got sick, so we burned sage. <laughs> that 
Is that what, what, we, what we were supposed to do? One of the most shocking things about Diego Maradona's story, and another one that I think makes him stand out from all the other child athletes we know about, at the age of eight, this doctor puts Diego Maradona on a course of injections and drugs that are meant to bulk him up. He actually, at one point, there's an interview with this doctor, and he literally says, by the time I got done with that kid, he looked like a racehorse. Jose Kid Seiko. <laughs> <laughs> got him. Uh, we got him. But yeah, kind of. At eight years old, they're injecting this kid with drugs to bulk him up. That's insane. That explains his Barry Bonds ass head running around the fucking pitch. Yeah. They were like, you think you got a big head now? Wait till we're, you're yeah. going to have a, a racehorse head. Yeah, you're going to be, poof. people are going to be like, I don't know what that is, but I am impressed by it. And yeah, that becomes a theme with Maradona. He just preferred alternative medicine and his own doctors to mainstream medicine. And it really becomes a point of contention with the teams he plays for, what, as it should. What happens when you're not given access to regular medicine, though? Right. It's like, you know, you are given situations where you have to rely on God because you can't rely on on science. Science is not there for a lot of people. You know, it's like people, you know, putting holy water on themselves when they're dying because it's the only option they have. And there's another thing about Paladino and Francisco Cornejo that's mentioned pretty early that also sort of sets the tone for the rest of Diego Maradona's life. This is in the Jimmy Burns book also. Paladino is listening to Cornejo rave about Diego Maradona's talent, and he basically says, uh, look, don't give him to anyone. Keep him for yourself, and when he's older, sell him and keep half the money. And you, you have to do that or you're going to get left behind. And that kind of becomes the focus of every adult around Diego Maradona is we're doing this, but at some point it's going to fucking pay off, kid. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, when, yeah, it's when, you know, they found a golden nugget and, you know, it's a child, but they don't fucking, they also want to make money. So they're going to take advantage of the kid. There's also a thing in that book where he talks about Diego Maradona performing tricks with a soccer ball and then with an orange and then with a bottle on this TV show and at halftime of the, the senior league games. And Jimmy Burns says he did this, and this is a quote, with the dexterity of a circus dog. Jeff, are there dogs in the circus? I think maybe in Argentina there might be. I guess, yeah. I was, I've never been to an Argentinian circus. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what their elephant population is out there, but let me tell you, their dog population is <laughs> doing well robust yeah strong str <laughs> a strong team of tricky dogs <laughs> packs of wild tricky dogs some would say but the trick is oftentimes attacking things attacking people sure yeah so a few of maradona's signature quirks start to show themselves at this absurdly early point in his life like how if at all possible he never missed a game there were times where he had where his injuries were so severe that he had to but he would do anything to show up for a game. And that sounds really heroic and courageous, but it's actually the, the wrong thing to do if you're a professional athlete. He ripkened. Yeah. He made that it motherfucker the motherfucker made it as a shortstop, which is fucking bananas to me. That's the Qu most Quick work. movements. Yeah. And, ugh. and he was all like, he, he looked, <laughs> I know we're talking about Maradona here, but Cal Ripken always looked like he just saw a ghost. Like he had that like like shocked white hair. He always seemed like a player to me that just showed up. And that's what people loved about him is he was always yeah. there. It's Meanwhile, like never... his brother wrote fuckface on the bottom of a baseball <laughs> bat. And that's all I care about. So another thing that starts showing up around this time, he's a bit of a diva. The first time he lost a game with Sebalitis, granted, he's a kid, but he threw himself on the ground at midfield or mid pitch, whatever the fuck, and just starts sobbing. Which I guess you got to understand. He's a kid. I mean, I've been in championship games where we lost and I remember people were crying pretty hard. Yeah. Like, I get it. But I would say that's not necessary. I wouldn't call that the diva thing, but I certainly would call <laughs> <laughs> this next thing. Yeah. At one point, again, as a child, he's on a team trip to Chile just three short months after after the Pinochet coup. Interestingly enough, that's another thing that follows this guy around his entire life is politics and brutal regimes on this trip to Chile. At one point, his team is downstairs 
for breakfast and he just refuses to go down and meet the team for breakfast and demands breakfast in bed instead, which I've never been a fan of breakfast in bed. It's too messy. No, you're just like, I can't wait to not be able to sleep tonight. Yeah. There's toast crumbs in my fucking bed. Toast? There's jelly on my pillow? Gross. I spilled orange juice. Great. Now I pissed the bed with orange juice. (laughs) So despite all this, Sebelitis becomes one of the most successful youth teams. The first time he was approached by a first division team was when he was 12. That sounds about right. So that that, that would be like, which at, you see that kind of in baseball in the United States. Not that extreme. Like AAU shit and stuff. But you'll see, and you yeah, you see it in basketball too, where there'll be a kid who's like 12 and a team will just reach out and be like, oh, we're gonna, we'll give you a contract at some point. Well, like, yeah, or, or and shit like um, you'll see a lot of like uh, private schools in like, like what school? Why was Boston allowed to have a private school that's dominant in basketball? Like, what about Boston makes you think <laughs> this is where basketball players are made? Wasn't basketball invented in Massachusetts? Sure, but not with <laughs> black people like. True, you think true. Naismith was like, hey, let's get the black guys over here to play. <laughs> so the difference, though, with what happens with Diego Maradona, where he's approached by these teams, this team wants him to play right away and they want to give him money right away at the age of 12. Yeah, That's we'll nuts. do that. At 15, he's given the keys to his first ever apartment, which if you're balling out of control at the age of eight and living in a shanty town, how about you hit him with that apartment at like nine? Get his family out of that right away. Might have had some more productive early years out of Diego Maradona. I w- it seems to me like there's a mixture of like uh, childhood idolatry and also like spare the rod, spoil the child aspects of certain things in uh, South American culture. Yeah. Yeah. And his I'm- at this point, he's supporting his entire family, which mm-hmm. that which is which is stands to reason. Honestly, like one of those things where we're talking about it and we're like, these people are taking advantage of this child. But also these people in doing that are upraising how many people. So like you're like, this is tragic. And at the same time, you're like, but also this is huge. Yeah. And it seems to be what he wanted. He built this team of people around him that kept outsiders away. His mom reinforced it like everything in his life was set up for him. His first girlfriend, I don't know if it was his first girlfriend, but like his main girlfriend for most of his youth, a girl named Claudia Villafanes, she just met his mom at the grocery store. His mom didn't bring enough money for her groceries, and this girl offers to to pay the rest. And she was like, hey, how about my son come over and uh, do you up a couple wanna, times? Uh, yeah, to, you want to get thanks. fingered by my, my weird-looking kid? <laughs> And she did. And her dad wanted her to also. Her I mean, dad was yeah. and her dad ends up being the one who's like pushing her to date this kid. Because, again, even then people are like, man, this kid's going to be rich. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's probably like, hey, try to get uh, pregnant. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that, that's there's whew, man. I can't stress to you enough like what extreme poverty is and what how much we don't really necessarily know about it and what that would cause. You no, know, I get it. The I get it. No, I'm not saying you. I did. Adam, you don't understand. Poor. I do. I don't. I don't know shit about shit. Who knows anything? I'm about the anything. dumbest boy in the world. But I know that they fucking this kid uh, brought a lot of people fucking to life. On the bright side, they did make sure he didn't have to worry about petty bullshit like learning things at school. Why the fuck would he need to learn anything at school? See, that's the thing. There's there's a great story where his his teachers are concerned that his grades are bad. And so the fix is that Jose Trotta visits the teacher at school and is like, I get it. He's missing a bunch of school, but you got to see this kid play soccer. Here's what I'm going to say about um, like athletic prodigies like this, like people that, you know, are going to be massive is they should have to teach or they should have to learn like a couple things like civics. They should have to learn civics. They should have to learn logic and they should have to learn how to disseminate material. And they should have to learn how to read. Well, I mean, I feel like that kind of starts in the beginning that that sort of was a given i thought but that's fine it's not always there's there's a lot of stories of athletes who got this treatment in the united states and just as a result yeah. can't 
fucking read. I guess all. I guess reading the material that you'd have to disseminate, I thought was included, but that's uh, that's fair. But like, what do you teach him fucking math? Yeah, what's he need to know math for? Like, oh, he so just, he's not he gonna just get find a- ripped off. He's gonna get ripped off, even if he knows math. He doesn't really get ripped off much. That's the thing. You don't see him losing a lot of money or getting swindled because again, he's got that small, like he doesn't get ripped off. He just, I mean, he spends enough money on people that ripping him off would be dumb. Yeah. 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 He's like, he's swindled, but more in like a life way where they're like, we're going to like the guy that's like, fucking don't get rid of him. Hold on to him. Like that's a, a he's an MC hammer story. MC hammer had all that money. And employed all of these people with the thinking that I'm going to have that money forever. And nope. And that that happens to Diego Maradona at points. We should get a time machine and go back and warn MC Hammer. We should. Here's what I love about Diego Maradona so far, though. It seems like there is a crazy detail to go with every story about him. Case in point, the way he met his first manager, a guy named Jorge Siderspieler. Siderspieler. I don't know. Spieler. Here's how he met Diego Maradona. When Jorge was 12, his older brother was killed by an inadvertent kick to the balls that during a soccer match. Terrifying. It is. He had a hemorrhage when it happened and died, which has to be the absolute most painful death this side of getting crushed. I don't know. I mean, it's... It's probably second only to drowning in a pit of shit. That would be bad too. Like this what if is you're a, drowning in a pit of shit and someone kick you in the balls. This episode is just filled with like saw like plot lines. Kinda, yeah. So this sends Jorge tail spinning into a deep depression. For the next six months, he just kind of sits at home with the blinds closed, being sad. Protect no his what. nuts. Yeah. Keep those nuts safe. Protect your neck, but you know, nuts. Put your nuts instead. No matter what his friends or family try to do to pull him out of it, he's just completely depressed. But then, Jeff, he starts hearing all these stories about this amazing kid playing for Sebalitas. And is eventually... It, is it Sebalitas or Sebalitas? I don't know. It's got that double I, L. I know, but... Yay. It might be Sebalitas. Sebalitas. But I'm going to call it Sebalitas because I'm an ignorant American. Ooh. So eventually the curiosity gets to be too much for him. And he finally leaves the house to go see Diego Maradona play. And that's how Diego Maradona meets his first manager. Jorge was 12 at the time. They remain friends. And one of the things that I think bonded them together is Jorge apparently looks even weirder than Diego Maradona. So Diego probably liked being the hot one in the relationship for a change, but They stay friends, and as Diego Maradona starts becoming a famous soccer player, Jorge goes to college and gets a business degree. Oh, fuck yeah, Jorge. They meet again later in life, and Jorge's like, hey, dude, I know some shit about business. I'll handle your affairs. And that's that's how he becomes his manager. I'm I'm proud of Jorge for picking himself up, dusting himself off after the death of his brother by nuts. (laughs) By nuts. Yeesh. That death was nuts. <laughs> what do you mean? Because he died with. Oh, man, it's a it's like a child died from getting hit in the nuts. Oh, well, here's the thing. His brother was 10 years older, so his brother was 22 at the time. So it's oh, fine. fuck him. Yeah, he's an adult. That's hilarious. Yeah, it is. One thing that comes up a lot in regards to Diego Maradona is his stance on the government of Argentina. In 1976, a military junta took control of the government violently and with the blessing of the United States, of course. Obviously. This is crazy. After that coup, Henry Kissinger goes and meets with the leaders of that coup, and he's like, look, eliminate your opponents as quickly as possible before the rest of the world starts bellyaching about human rights. This is a reminder that Henry Kissinger is an awful, awful human being. And that the United States is rarely the good guys. No, no. We haven't done anything good in South America. No, 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 no. no definitely no. not. Google All Banana Republics and see uh, see what we did and how cute yeah. it is that we have stores named that. <laughs> so Argentina very enthusiastically takes Henry Kissinger's advice. And over the next few years, an estimated 30,000 dissidents, mostly young people who were opposed to military rule, were 
disappeared in Argentina. They called it the Dirty War. Dirty War. So naturally, Argentina was awarded the World Cup in 1978. I mean, Cotter got it when they were just like, hey, we love slaves. And we were yeah, like, you know what? Have the World Cup. The, human ri- uh, <laughs> the next World Cup is a human rights crisis. But we've talked about it already. Not on this podcast. Maybe we will at Maybe, some point. Well, we don't normally because you don't even like sports. So, oh, well, oh yeah, that's right. You don't even like sports. That's not what I said. So this was very good timing for Argentina. Because for one thing, the Argentinian national team was nice, nice. in 1978. They were really good. So good that Diego Maradona, already kind of a star in his country, already considered one of the most dominant players in Argentinian soccer. This team was so good, they left him off the team, which he hated. This book makes it seem like the coach left him off because he didn't want to be overshadowed by Diego Maradona. But there's also a documentary called Becoming Champions that covers all of Argentina's World Cup appearances. And the coach in that is like, well, what would have happened if I took him and we lost? Then people would be like, you idiot. You took a 16-year-old to the World Cup? Yeah, why? You lost? Why? Yeah. You fucking jerks, right? So, right, you fucking Jays. You, got, you goddamn quote. fucking J-O's. <laughs> so being left off that team was a thing that Diego Maradona was very angry about the rest of his life. But also, it didn't matter because Argentina won. They won the 1978 World Cup. But here's the question people had at the time. Uh, should we even be playing soccer right now? The answer because, is always yes. Because there's a dictatorship in power and they're murdering thousands of people. And maybe now is not the time. And I'm on the fence about this. For one, I get it. I get that it's an unnecessary distraction or so it would seem to people. But I think this is addressed really well in that. Netflix Becoming Champions documentary. The the episode about Argentina is called Hand of Fate. Someone brings up a really great point, which is since when does living under a dictatorship require people to quit their jobs? Yeah. Like if you're working at a movie theater, are you going to quit? Because who's watching movies under a dictatorship? And also, if this team had taken that stance, if they were like, we're not playing in the World Cup while this is happening, guess who would have been murdered? Yeah. Them. They would have got murdered probably in a CIA orchestrated plane crash or some shit. So it's kind of a no win situation. But they but won. That, but they won. And so that that's is a kind win. Of, ah. Ah. They did. There's a somewhat of a win. Your situation. circular logic is being called out. <laughs> Address my point. So the thing is, they win the World Cup. And there's no doubt this military regime used the World Cup and the national team to kind of hide what was happening in the country and the fact that they are disappearing people. Who us? We ain't doing nothing wrong. One of the wackiest examples of that, and when I say wacky, I mean horrifying, but still. Around the same time of the World Cup, Diego Maradona is still young enough that he can play on youth teams too. So they would sometimes send him to play for Argentina's youth teams during championships, and he ends up winning a youth world championship for Argentina. And he wins it, On the same day, the Organization of American States, they were due to come to Buenos Aires and check out what was happening in Argentina, like all these human rights claims that people are making. Diego Maradona wins this youth championship one hour before OAS is allowed to open up their offices. So this military regime uses that hour to, one, spread the news about them winning this youth championship in Argentina, And then they're like, look, take the day off. This is huge for us. This is huge for Argentina. We know you love soccer. We know you love Diego Maradona. Take the day off, especially down, you know, in the the Plaza Mayor area where our offices are and also where OAS is, but that doesn't matter. Just flood the area. Come down. Let's celebrate. And thousands and thousands of Argentinians take to the streets right as the parents and grandparents of all these disappeared kids are trying to get to the OAS offices to give their testimony. So even if they managed to get through the crowd and give that testimony, everyone in the country was partying over Maradona winning a youth championship. Congratulations. That's like, that's like congratulating like Mike Tyson at 26 for winning the (laughs) Olympics or something. And you're just like, Oh yeah, we kind of knew that's what would happen. But what a, what a fun diversion. 
What a what a what a clever but shout out to whoever came up with that idea. It's very smart. It's brilliant when you're doing um war crimes and when you're genociding or not I wouldn't say necessarily genociding but more uh politically uh, eliminating all these people. I think people. they I think they did eventually consider it a genocide of sorts. Fun. Yeah, good times. Good times in Argentina. So around this time the military starts floating a new catchphrase. Maradona no se vende. Maradona no se va. Maradona is patrimonio nacional. Translation, Maradona isn't for sale. Maradona is going nowhere. Maradona is part of the national heritage. Meanwhile, Maradona's looking up from his fucking suitcase that he's packing, being like, huh, what was that? Yeah. Hmm? I'm what? So add, add the military to the list of people who are like, hey, you're ours, and we are expecting things from you. Not the optimal team to have being like you ain't going anywhere no no you don't want the the regime that took over in a bloody coup yeah. to be like hey you're ours now we own you yeah leave it let, let, let the librarians say that because you're like fucking all right whatever bye and so between that and being snubbed by the 1978 world cup team it should come as no surprise that around this time diego maradona starts thinking about taking his talents to Somewhere that wasn't Argentina. Literally anywhere that isn't Just this place. Get me out of here, please. And next week, we're talking about the absurdly long negotiations and all of the military dodging tactics that went into securing Diego Maradona's record-setting transfer to Barcelona. Barcelona, España. And how it all went to hell shortly thereafter i mean what a great spot to like shift to though barcelona yeah yeah barcelona fucking rocks doesn't go well but man it seems like a nice place i would love to go to barcelona we should move to barcelona let's do it oh my let's god go. i didn't even think about that let's go to barcelona and then we can go hang out on the beaches of ibiza ibiza yes we can go to marbella we can which we is can. a place i only know about from watching uh the only way is essex Tawi, they call it in England. We could go to Navarre or Granada. Let's go to Grenada. Oh, no, 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 no. That's no? that's one of the that's one of the ones we don't. We did a we did a little baby war did, there. Did they not recover? I mean, they places not. normally recover so well when we invade. I mean, you know, I will be honest. When we occupy, things seem to go OK. But when we just invade, things all fall to shit. But yeah. you know what's crazy about Grenada and Panama, both those two invasions yeah. in the eighties. If you read up on those, definitely with Grenada and I think with Panama too, the generals that ran them were like, "Yeah, the reason we were able to end that so quickly is the media wasn't allowed to come in for the first seventy-two hours." It's like, what the fuck were you doing? You know what's weird is one of my principals from when I was in high school. His brother died in Grenada. As Holy one of shit. the Rangers, I believe, or a, beret, a Green Beret or a Ranger or something. He was something and he fucking died. He was like one of the seven Americans that died. Yeah, I was going to say like six or seven people died. Yeah, and it was it's not. That's crazy. Yeah. What a coincidence. It's pretty intense. So that's our episode for now. We're going to yeah. th this. The, the Barcelona story is so crazy. At one point, it suggested he might have to be smuggled out of the country if he secures a transfer. And that they would have to pay the smugglers, too. I automatically assumed that he was going to have to be smuggled out of the country. After yeah. the after the military does Maradona no se vende, Maradona no se va, Maradona es patrimonio nacional. I was like, oh, he's going to have to be snuck out of here. Yep. That's, it's pretty crazy. That's just that's not when the when the men with the guns that took over the country are saying you ain't going anywhere. That's when it's kind of like, mm, all right, bye. Time to leave. Yeah. If you want to read or watch more about all the stuff we talked about today, again, the book Maradona, The Hand of God by Jimmy Burns. I think that's, again, probably the best overview of Maradona's career. The only thing is it only goes up to 2010. There's still 10 more years pre-death. Yeah, there's still, still a lot more Maradona to go after that. There's also a YouTube video called Before You Lose Hope. Watch Diego Maradona's life story on the Soccer Stories channel's Oh My Goal series. Oh My Goal! <laughs> Nerds. And Fucking soccer stories. Dorks. <laughs> Fucking dorks. And as mentioned also, the Netflix documentary series Becoming Champions, season one, episode six. It's called The Fate of God. 
covers all of Argentina's World Cup appearances, including the two we talked about today. Very interesting. It was a very, I might watch that whole series. There are eight nations that have won a World Cup. And there is an episode about each of those nations and all of their various World Cup appearances. And the Argentina one's very interesting. Is there uh, anything about Zinedine Zidane headbutting that dude in the chest? Probably. Because that is so good. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah, I've only watched the one Argentina episode, but I might watch the rest. If there's if every episode had a headbutt in it, I'd be like, I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be rioting of some sort in most episodes. <laughs> like it's soccer. Of course. <laughs> You got to make soccer interesting. How do you do that? Riot afterwards. Yeah. Even when the U.S. had the World Cup, it was shortly after the L.A. riots. Like that was 94, I think. Yeah. So the the World Cup. I know the L.A. riots weren't 94. Anyway, that's our episode. What do we have? This is a free episode. A free episode. After months and months of bonus episodes that if you subscribe, you can go listen to. There is a, a mountain of unreleased episodes of this podcast. You got to hear them, bro. There's, we did a few uh, soccer episodes leading up to this. We covered Istanbul United, which is a very interesting story. We covered a a huge uh, soccer match that possibly started a war. The San Diego chicken. Yeah. We talked about the John 316 guy in the middle of all that. We sure did. That's important because that's still (laughs) on a lot of bumper stickers. Sure is. So even though Jeff doesn't even like sports, you should... You should check all those out in uh, patreon.com slash unpops or unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. You can find all that. Jeff, what do you got to plug? Well, yeah. Sideshow Sideshow is every other Tuesday on Sideshow Collectibles uh, episode, uh, either next episode or episode that just dropped. Paul Walter Hauser. You might know him as uh, Richard Jewell or uh, Sean Eckhart from Itania, And he's coming up in Cruella. And I, I happen to uh, fucking great. He is unbelievably fantastic and just such a generally good dude um i I felt uh, very lucky to steal him for an hour in the middle of his fucking blitzkrieg life um so that's definitely something to check out also every tuesday morning at 10 a.m pacific on uh uh, on sideshows uh shit we have unsealed and spit it out dummy fucking man i'm so Tom and Jeff watch Batman every Friday on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. And uh, also, I would like to plug that Adam doesn't like sports. Okay, bye. Oh, yeah. Jeff doesn't even like sports. I forgot about that. Nope. All right. Let's get out of here. Jeff, say goodbye. Oh, bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. I love you. (laughs) 